a reading from Luke chapter 2. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul also. There was also a prophet, Anna, daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer day and night. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they'd finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God. You know what I was not doing at eight days postpartum? Walking or riding a donkey six miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. I mean, my goodness, this teenage girl had just given birth in a disgusting barn far from home. She would have been torn and bleeding, sleeping only two hours at a time, and nursing through blood, sweat, and tears. I'm betting she wasn't really in the mood for a hike. Suffice it to say, Mary was a trooper. Protestants don't give her nearly enough credit, if you ask me. Though Luke's gospel is the go-to for every Christmas pageant and every Christmas card, 
he sure doesn't let us linger at the manger very long. There are no wise men, no fancy gifts, no star over Bethlehem in his account. As soon as Mary had given birth and the shepherds had come and gone, the camera fades out and our scripture reading this morning cuts to a new scene wherein the infant Jesus is presented at the temple in Jerusalem. Like any good Jewish parents, Mary and Joseph know that the birth of a child, especially a firstborn son, entails certain rituals according to the Mosaic law. As was customary, Mary needed to be purified after giving birth, and Jesus would be dedicated to God with an offering of praise. Though the size of the offering was modest, just two pigeons or a pair of turtle doves, the intention was clear. From his earliest days, Mary and Joseph would, <clears throat> excuse me, they would raise Jesus within the community of faith teaching him God's faithfulness throughout the generations, encouraging him to claim his place in the ongoing story of God's covenant people. Remembering the words of the angel, which Mary had long since pondered in her heart, they knew that God had great plans for this child and that envisioning his future meant connecting him with his Jewish present. I remember, I imagine that their presence in the temple was unobtrusive at first, friends. They probably looked like any other young family, parents bleary-eyed with exhaustion, yet full of love as they cradled their son. People probably smiled at the newborn the way most people do at the sight of a new parent holding a precious baby. Maybe folks oohed and awed as they counted his ten little toes and remarked on his handsomeness. Yet in the midst of these passing glances, and these brief words of congratulations, something prompted Simeon and Anna to look a little closer than the other temple goers. Seeing the holiness in the midst of the ordinary is an acquired skill, and years of faithfulness had taught them well. After the loss of her husband, just seven years into their marriage, Anna had spent almost all of her adult life in the temple, committed to a life of fasting and prayer as she worshipped God day and night. Now, well into her 80s, she'd grown in wisdom and grace over the course of a lifetime, and nothing brought her more joy than sharing these gifts with others. Simeon, too, was said to be righteous and devout. The Holy Spirit rested on him. And though he was also advanced in age, he continued to believe what God had revealed to him, that he would see the Messiah with his own two eyes during his lifetime. Both Anna and Simeon had trained their eyes to see and their hearts to discern God's work in the world. Guided by the Spirit that day, they perceived that God was about to do a new thing. As they spotted the child, their hearts leapt for joy and their spirits were overcome with praise. In this newborn baby's face, Anna and Simeon recognized not just the hopes of eager young parents, but the longings of their hearts and the hope of all of Israel. This was the one they'd been waiting for, 
the one the prophets spoke of in the days of old, the one who would usher in God's salvation and light and revelation and glory. Suddenly, their joy gave way to boldness as they approached the child. Simeon took him in his arms and began to speak words of blessing and praise, warning and prophecy. In this stunning moment of recognition, Simeon and Anna see the future of God's people, even as they hearken back to the ancestral promise of God's covenant. The elderly embrace the infant, blessing him, welcoming him, and offering words of assurance, hope, and joy. The Christ child returns these blessings to them, offering them a sense of continuity, of legacy, a culmination of their faithful watching and waiting, a fulfillment of their hopes. And let's not forget Mary and Joseph. The young parents offer a commitment to teaching their child the story of their faith and dedicate him to the Lord in the presence of the gathered community. And yet they too receive a blessing. Simeon forewarns them of all that is to come. He tells them that their joy will be mingled with pain and that Christ will be for us a suffering Savior. What's remarkable to me about this story is that God brings together all three generations in this place of worship to mutually encourage one another. Not only are they blessed, but each offers a blessing. The young and the old and the in-between all come together to worship and to praise, to celebrate and anticipate, to hope and to learn and to grow in faith together as they discern what God's doing in their midst. The church is one of the few places in our society where there's the potential for people to come together across our differences to form intergenerational relationships, and to build community with one another. Parker Palmer, a Quaker columnist who writes about faith for the blog On Being, describes intergenerational relationships as one of the church's greatest untapped resources. He writes, let's stop talking about passing the baton to the young as we elders finish running our laps, let's change the metaphor and invite young adults to join the orchestra. As we sit together, we can help them learn to play their instruments while they help us learn the music of the emerging world, which they hear more clearly than we do. Together, we can co-create something lovelier and more alive than the current cacophony, a co-creation in which dissonance has a place but does not dominate. Palmer goes on to say, many people die with all their music still in them. I was saved from that sad fate, he explains, by a series of mentors who reached out to me when I was young and helped me find my own music and learn how to play it well. Today, at age 77, have the chance to pass that gift along to the rising generation whose music is still waiting to be heard.
so does everyone who's within reach of a younger person. But age has taught me, he says, that mentoring is not a one-way street. It's a mutuality in which two people evoke the potentials in one another. Mentoring is a gift exchange in which we elders receive at least as much as we give, often more. As elders, we know, or we should know, that we have gifts to offer the young. Depending on the area in question, we've been there and done that, fallen down and gotten up, learned from our failures, lived to tell the story, and gone on to get at least a few things right. We can share those lessons with the young and then help them clear a path through the thickets of life and work. The young, too, bring gifts of energy and vision and hope that hard experience and the erosions of time may have stolen from us without us even knowing it. They challenge our cynicism and even save us from despair when they see a possibility that we'd probably dismiss, but come at it from a new angle that just might work. Once more into the breach, we think, and we'll go with them. Palmer describes with keen insight the blessings made possible when we gather together across generations. This pattern of life together is evident in this story of Jesus' dedication at the temple, and it's instructive for us as a church community. As our scripture reading reminds us, we have to connect with our past in order to envision our future. And we have to see where we are and where we're headed in order to contextualize our past. In other words, whether we're older or younger or somewhere in between, we need each other. And so in our life together, may we reach out to someone who's different than us. May we mentor a younger person. May we visit an older friend or reconnect with a dear mentor. May we hear one another's stories and share our joys and challenges with one another. May we learn and grow together across all that divides us, praising God for what has been and what is still to come as we strive to be God's beloved community. May we be blessed, and may we be a blessing. Amen.